join me as we pray this morning. Father, thank you for your presence in this place today. And thank you for this musical reminder of who you are. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for your grace and thank you for your mercy. We're so undeserving of all of it, but you have given it to us freely and we can never repay you for that. It's a free gift and we, we're so grateful for it. Thank you. And may we celebrate that today as we remember you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We're so glad you've joined us for worship today. Thank you for being here. I think last Sunday Todd said something about it being our 16th anniversary and some may have thought that and some did think that Linda and I had been married 16 years. <laughs> I thought I better correct that because we have a 41 year old daughter. <laughs> so, he was talking about 16 years here and uh, it was funny some of the comments as, as people were going out but I thought it's the best way I'm going to correct that today. But we are so glad. Thank you for being here today. Thank you for joining us for this time of worship and if you are a guest we welcome you and we thank you for choosing to worship with this church family today and if you are a guest especially a first-time guest we have a gift for you out on the welcome center just go by and take one of those bags and if they're all gone let us know and we'll fix you another one for the next time you're here how about that we'll fix it that's Tennessee coming out in me and we're fixing we're fixing it but thank you for being here and I pray that you feel God's presence as we worship him today those of you who have joined us by live stream, we welcome you and we thank you for joining us as well. And we pray that you at home will feel God's presence as we uh, take communion today and as we work through this worship service. Why don't you stand, take a minute and greet those around you in the name of the Lord and then we'll sing, Shine Jesus Shine.
continue in worship with us as our worship team leads us. Strange. 
Good morning again. Glad to see you all. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, isn't it? You know, uh, I know most of you are familiar with the story of Abraham and Genesis. Abraham had a lot of stress. He had a lot of things facing him. He had a lot of needs. But as, as was said in the scripture itself, Abraham... thanksgiving and praise for who you are. I come to give you the glory, Father, the glory and the honor, because you and you alone deserve all glory. Father, you know our needs. You know them even before we ask. And I know you're aware of everyone that's at this altar and everyone that's standing this morning. Like I said, Jesus said we could ask anything in his name, believing. So my prayer this morning is in his name, believing. I want to pray for our sick. And there are many who are sick this morning. I won't name them, that there are many battling cancer, heart problems. There are many with financial needs. There are many with all kinds of needs. Jesus says he'll supply our needs according to his riches in Christ Jesus, and I believe that. He'll supply the needs. We have to let him know. He appreciates it when we let him know. So, Father, I just thank you this morning that you are a God of mercy. You're a God of grace. 
and you're a God of forgiveness. And if we need forgiveness, Father, right now is a good time to ask for that forgiveness. And I ask for it in the name of Jesus. And Father, I want to lift up our nation. Our nation is in a turmoil. And we may not understand, Father, but I can tell you we trust you for things to change because we know you're in control. I thank you for our church, our prayer warriors, our staff, and our pastor who's away right now, Father. I ask you to bless him and Kelly with safety and a fulfilling of your spirit while they're away. And Father, I want to thank you that even though things look dim in life and we get, we get stranded sometimes and the devil wants to cause doubt in our minds, but we have the power in the name of Jesus to refute it. And I pray this morning that everyone here refutes Satan in everything he does. There's nothing good about Satan. There's nothing good about his temptations, but everything's good about God. And our Lord and Savior Jesus, when he went to that cross and died, it was for us. It was for our sins. And what a sacrifice God made. So I just thank you this morning that you're here, that you're willing and able to reach out to the Holy Spirit and feel his presence and let him touch your heart this morning. And I ask you to be with Bill this morning as he brings the message that you've given him. The music has been anointed and it was wonderful, Father. Now thank you for anointing Bill and his message. And thank you, Father, for blessing each one that's here this morning. And I just give all glory and praise to you. Wherever how bad it gets, you're going to be with us through the journey. Never said it would be easy, but said we'd be safe. So thank you again for this day, these people, this congregation at home. And God bless them all, Father. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. morning we have a scripture reading from an Old Testament reading and a New Testament reading. And sorry, I do have my orange Bible today. I apologize for that. It's just the one I grabbed back in my office. So there's no symbolism in that at all. So uh, this morning I'm going to be reading from, as I said, an Old Testament reading from Jeremiah. Jeremiah 31 verses 31 through 33. Hear these words. The time is coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and with the house of Judah. It will not be like the covenant I made with their forefathers when I took them by the hand to lead them out of Egypt, because they broke my covenant, though I was a husband to them, declares the Lord. This is the covenant I will make with the house of Israel after that time, declares the Lord. I will put my law in their minds and write it on their hearts, and I will be their God and they will be my people. And then our New Testament reading today is from uh, Luke chapter 22, verses 7 and 8. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and make preparations for us to eat the, pass the Passover together. 
May God add his blessings to the reading of his word today. Choir will lead us. Oh, come let us sing with joy to the Lord. with 
put this here where you can't see it. How about that? <laughs> Linda asked me, he said, are you nervous? And I said, no, I don't get nervous anymore. It is what it is. I have that little thing behind my desk that the other staff members bought for me, and it says it is what it is because I use that so often. It is what it is. But what an honor it is to be able to stand before you today while Todd's on vacation and just remember them as they're away getting some time of rest. I know that is greatly appreciated. So today we have the privilege of sharing a meal together, the Lord's Supper. And this is one of two ordinances that we observe in our church. First one being baptism, the second one being the ordinance of the Lord's Supper. And they're both equally as important. And it's a privilege to share in this special time where we eat, where we drink, and remember what God has done for all of us through his son, Jesus. And today I want to briefly look back on the story of the Last Supper with Jesus and his disciples in the upper room. You go back to that week, it was Thursday, the day before Jesus' crucifixion, that he sent Peter and John to go and prepare the Passover for us so that we may eat it. Those were his words. And according to Jewish law and custom, there were two preparations that had to be faithfully observed when they were prepare, preparing for this meal. First, on the day before Passover, the head of the household would light a candle and walk through the house to make sure there was no leaven, leaven or yeast, I guess is the best way to put it in our terms. And if leaven was found in the house, it had to be removed immediately. At the first Passover uh, in Egypt, unleavened bread was used for the reason that they left captivity so quickly they didn't have time to, for the bread to rise like it should rise. So they used unleavened bread and uh, that's what they had to do. So we continue that tradition today in the Jewish tradition. The quick bread, as it was called, remained as a reminder for all the generations, all the future generations to come, that, of the captives being set free from Egypt. Second, for the Passover, worshipers were require, required to bring a spotless, unblemished lamb. Now think about the symbolism of that. They were to bring a spotless, unblemished lamb to the temple to be sacrificed for the forgiveness of their sins and after which they were to take that home and roast it as part of the Passover meal and then uh, it was a reminder of them that the death angel had passed over their house because they had the blood of the lamb on the lamb of the on the doorpost and the death angel passed over them and they're reminded of that and so also there were two symbolic articles that were to be placed on the table the Passover table, one of them was a bowl of salt water. And that salt water was to remind them of all the tears that were shed in Egypt during the captivity. The second one was a bowl of, of herbs, bitter herbs, that were serving as a reminder of the bitterness of slavery and the bitterness of captivity. Now, Peter and John knew exactly They'd grown up in this tradition, and they knew exactly how to prepare this meal. But at this late hour, they didn't know where they were going to prepare the meal. This was on Thursday, before the day before the crucifixion. All the pilgrims had come to Jerusalem to celebrate the Passover, and space was limited. And they didn't know where they were going to celebrate this Passover. Well, they underestimated Jesus a little bit because he had already taken care of that. He knew. In uh, Luke 22, 10 through 12, he said, When you have entered the city, a man will meet you carrying a pitcher of water. Follow him into the house 
that he enters, and you shall say to the owner of the house, the teacher says to you, where is the guest room in which I may eat a Passover with my disciples? And he will show you a large furnished upper room. Prepare it there. Jesus possessed that foreknowledge of the place where he and his disciples were going to share that meal together. And even in this, he demonstrated the truth of his earlier claim in Luke chapter 21, 33. Truly, I tell you, this generation will certainly not pass away until all these things have happened. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will never pass away. The prophet Isaiah prophesied this, and, he, and his words are recorded in Isaiah 40, chapter, chapter 40, verse 8. The grass withers and the flowers fail, but the word of God endures forever. And that tells me that we can always trust what Jesus says. We can always trust his word. We can always trust that he is going to do what he says he will do. And Peter and John, they didn't argue with him. They went ahead and they did as they were told and they found the, the place to be just exactly how Jesus told them it would be. When it came time for the meal that night, I'm just kind of telling you the story. When it came time for the meal that night, the disciples had gathered with Jesus and they were expecting the traditional Passover meal. And the tra traditional Passover meal uh, included stories about uh, their uh, exodus from Egypt uh, and it told about uh, some of the experience they'd had and they were expecting some of the special foods that were symbolic of the exodus from Egypt and they, feel they, wanted the, they, wanted, they were looking forward to that being shared. And then they always concluded with the singing of a Passover hymn. And then Jesus, to their surprise, made a startling announcement. Here's what he said, Luke 22, 14 through 16. I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I say to you, I shall never again eat it until it is fulfillment in the kingdom of God. And when he had taken the cup and given thanks, he said, take this and share it among yourselves. For I say to you, I will not drink of the fruit of the vine from now on until the kingdom of God comes. And when he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he took the cup after they had eaten. And he said, this cup, which is poured out for you, is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of the one betraying me is with mine on the table. For indeed, the Son of Man is going as it has been determined. Jesus knew that he was going to die. It had already been determined. But he said, but woe, to him who has betrayed. Jesus knew that this would be the last Passover meal that he would share with his disciples until everything was fulfilled and he finally comes into his kingdom. He also knew that shortly after the meal that his disciples would desert him. Therefore, he cherished, he cherished this final, final Passover celebration, even though he knew what was going to happen. Jesus transformed the Passover that night he, he transformed that meal into the Lord's Supper. And on that night, he commanded that they should continue to do that in remembrance of him. And this was the new covenant in his blood. He became the sacrificial lamb. And by this, God was entering into that new covenant with his people, one of love and not of law. 
And I want to talk a little bit about Jesus' love. We hear a lot about his love and what that entails and what it means. And it's taken out of context many times. Jesus does love everyone. He loves us all. And he wants us all to, to come into his kingdom and to be part of who he is. And one of the most beautiful stories in the Bible is from uh, John John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. And I want to share that. I know you've heard the story, but I want to share that story because it really speaks to, um, to what his love really is all about. But Jesus went to the Mount of Olives at dawn. He appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought the woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now what do you say? They were using the question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus bent down and he started to write something on the ground. And nobody knew what he was writing on the ground. He was just in the sand, just writing on the ground. And when they kept asking questions and questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, if any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone. Again, he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And again, nobody knows exactly what he wrote there on the ground. With this, all those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. And Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, sir. Then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. That's the kicker. Jesus loves us. He doesn't love our sin. He loves us, but he doesn't love all of our sin and what we do. And he says, go and sin no more. Go and leave your life of sin. He loved her as he did all of his disciples, as he did with everyone that he came in contact with. He loved them. And he, was, he loved them so much that he was willing to walk away when he needed to. He was willing to walk away. And that's a good lesson for all of us. I'm reading a book now. Uh, it's entitled, When to Walk Away. And it talks about some of this. In relationships, sometimes we have to walk away. You know, we don't force ourselves on anybody, and we just have to walk away. And Jesus walked away many times. He sent people away sometimes, but he walked away. And sometimes uh, in life, you feel bad about walking away from people trying to establish a new relationship. I know I've, it's happened in my own life, and I use it a lot in, in counseling, you know, when people are struggling with relationships. And my advice to them is sometimes you have to take, walk away and get some perspective and then come back. And in marriage counseling, I share a story with you. I was counseling a couple, and uh, I'm not, of course, I don't name them, and you wouldn't know them anyway. And uh, I said, when you have, as Todd describes, intense moments of fellowship, I said, when you have intense moments of fellowship, you need to walk away. You need to take some time away. Well, this one couple that I was talking to, they came back the next time. It was about two weeks later. He took a whole week away. And I said, well, that wasn't quite what I had in mind for you to do. I said, I'm talking about 10 minutes, 30 minutes, an hour. But he took a week away. I guess he took a vacation. And I guess they were doing fine when he got back. But I just had to make clear that wasn't what, that wasn't what I meant. But needless to say, when we 
think about that and we go back. Sometimes we need to be like Jesus in that way, like Jesus in many ways, actually, but like Jesus in that way, sometimes we need to know when to walk away and, and establish sometimes a new relationship with that person or no relationship. You know, sometimes it just doesn't work. And that doesn't mean you do not love them. You love them, but you love them enough to walk away. And Jesus did that many times in his ministry. And I kind of diverted to that because, you know, I began to think about the love of Jesus and people talking about, well, Jesus loves everybody. He does, but he doesn't accept all of our sin. He doesn't accept all of our sin. And we, that's a good reminder. Go and lead your life of sin. <clears throat> Jesus was centered on the messianic promise that had been foretold by the prophet Jeremiah. And he ushered in this new covenant, which was a covenant of love and not the law. And Jeremiah, we read these words, The days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with my people of Israel and the people of Judah. So the disciples at this point in time, they were witnessing the fulfillment of prophecy. They were witnesses. It was right before their eyes. But I'm not sure as I read the story and as I look inside, uh, inside this passage, I'm not sure that they were really grasping what they were hearing and what Jesus was saying. There didn't seem to be any excitement. The Bible doesn't record. There were no hallelujahs or shouting or anything going on. It's like they were numb to what was happening. Just no excitement. And it appears that the disciples were preoccupied with what was going on in their lives and preoccupied with how they thought it should be. And Jesus clearly revealed that day the agenda that God had set forth. God had set forth the agenda, the new covenant. Sadly, it was also on that occasion when the agenda of some of the disciples were brought in clearly into focus. If you'll think back to the story and think back with me, we see them there with their preoccupations. And what did they do? They were arguing about who was going to be the greatest among them. They were arguing. Jesus had brought this messianic prophecy. It was being fulfilled before their eyes, and they were arguing about who was going to be the greatest among them. We see them with those preoccupations. And then we see Judas slipping away to do what he was going to do, to do business with the, uh, with the high court there. And then we see uh, Peter saying he would not deny Jesus, and he is portraying self-preservance, preservation, I should say, at all costs. He was trying to save himself and say, no, Jesus, I would never deny you. But what did he do? He denied him three times, just as Jesus had said. And then they forfeited the time together with Jesus in the garden. They forfeited the time of prayer because they were tired and they slept. And Jesus was praying alone. Jesus knew all this was going to happen. And that is why he reminded them, as he had so many times before, that he had called them to serve and that no one person was any greater than the other person. That night, Jesus became their servant by washing their feet. He washed their feet, even though Peter tried to not let him do that. But he finally was convinced 
that he should let Jesus, because what Jesus was doing, he was setting the example for them. He wanted to know, them to know the importance of being servants. And I've said that many times before, and I believe he was also teaching them how important thankfulness is. And I use that a lot. I think in, in any place in life, whether you're experiencing, well, it could be anything, the death of someone in your family or anywhere, getting over that, it takes a long time. And I go back to the experience of when um, my mother passed away. It's been 25 years this year. It's hard to believe it's been that long. My dad passed away in May. She died suddenly in August of that year. And first 24 hours was really hard with her because we were very close. And I realized when I got to the place of being thankful, I got to the place of saying, well, what am I thankful for about my mom? She loved me. She unconditionally. She supported me wholeheartedly. No matter what I chose to do, she loved me. And when I began to be thankful, then my heart began to heal. My heart began to heal. And from that day forward, it was, I moved forward in that grief. And I'm, I'm saying today, we have to get to a place where we're thankful. Start enumerating some of those things you're thankful for. If you're having hard times, you're going through something, enumerate the things that you're thankful for. And that is one of the best things you can do, being thankful to God for the many things that he has done for you and the many blessings that he has brought into your life. And I think that was one of the main things that Jesus was trying to teach them that night. Number one, how to be servants. Number two, to be thankful. And, uh, and number three, he wanted them to know how deeply he loved them. Now, can you imagine being abandoned by your friends like he was abandoned and then continuing to still love them and still care for them and still wanting to share this meal together with him? He knew it, and he loved them anyway. And isn't that what we're supposed to do? And I was, as I was thinking about this, I thought, well, what I should ask you today, what are your distractions? You know, what are you thinking about? What are you thinking about when you come into worship? And I have to admit to you, sometimes I'm so busy, I'm very distracted in worship. I'm so busy. Is the microphone working? <laughs> I'll bring it out if it's not. <laughs> is the microphone working? Is what's wrong with that light up there? Why is that light so bright? Or why is that light out? You know, I think about a lot of things. And I ask you today, what are your distractions when you come in to worship? I don't want you to answer those. That's rhetorical, but... You should answer them in your own mind and where your mind goes during worship. Today, I challenge you as we approach this table, I challenge you to put aside your preoccupations and focus on what this supper is all about. Focus on this new covenant that he established. Always remember that Christ's gaze is always upon us. His gaze is always upon us and I hope that I, you, all of us who are here and all of us who are listening, I hope you can feel the gaze of Christ today as we look to him and as we remember him sharing this meal together. Jesus said, For this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. That's life-changing and that's eternal. It's life-changing, and it's eternal. And I guess the other question I would ask, are you covered by the blood of Jesus today? Are you covered by his blood? 
Have you entered into that relationship with him? And if you have not, you can be. And it would be my greatest privilege to be able to share with you how you can come into that relationship with him and you can be covered by his blood. You can do that today as we prepare to sing a hymn of invitation before we share the meal together. Will you join me as we pray today? Father, thank you for this new covenant. Thank you that you loved us so much that you sacrificed your own son to be the one that carried the burden of our sins to the cross. Thank you for his glorious resurrection and thank you for the promises throughout all of Scripture pointing to your return one day where we will all join you, we'll all be together celebrating with you through eternity. Lord, thank you for that and help us grasp the gravity of that today as we remember you and as we take this meal together. Thank you, Father, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. I'm going to ask you to stand and you join as we sing together our hymn of invitation today.
And as Linda plays softly on the organ, take just a few minutes to spend some time in prayer before we take this supper together. deacons are at the doors back there if you did not get one of the communion elements just raise your hand and they'll bring them to you at this time When he had taken some bread and given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Father, thank you for the honor of remembering you today. Thank you for this bread that was broken, symbolic of your broken body for our sins. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Then he took the cup and he said, this cup which is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. Drink it and remember me. Again, we're so glad that you joined us today and we pray that all week long you remember that the gaze of Christ is upon you. It's upon us and he loves us. He loves us just where we are, and uh, he will do just exactly what he said he would do. But thanks for being here today, and I pray that you will join us maybe Wednesday night for our prayer service. Have a beautiful prayer service in here every Wednesday night, and most of it is praying. 
we share a little bit, but most of it is praying. So I hope you can come and join us this week. Uh, we'll also uh, think some of our small groups are meeting tonight. And uh, if you want to plug into one of those, see one of us or get a schedule out on the Welcome Center, we'd love for you to join us for some of those. But thank you for being here. Thank you for being patient. And thank you for being a good, attentive audience. You were great. And I appreciate that. And uh, I just always want to do what God lays on my heart. That's what he laid on my heart today. And uh, I pray that your heart was touched by something in this whole service. Holy Spirit, you're welcome here. That touched me today. And uh, so many other things. But thanks. Why don't you stand? Let's sing together a final song and, and we'll be dismissed. Father, as we leave this place today, we pray that you keep everybody safe and bring us back together with hearts full of worship uh, in the coming weeks. And thank you that your gaze is always upon us. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.